Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. My name is Vivian Aqua and welcome to episode number 82. And I have to admit something because it's my one year anniversary for Let's Humanize the Workplace. And I keep forgetting because this whole year of 2020, it feels like 10 years. I was just having this conversation with Jennifer and I will definitely properly introduce her, but I wanted to include her in this conversation as we are starting now. So 82 episodes in one year, Dutch and English, but as from next year, I'll definitely do more in English as well because there's so much work to be done when it comes to DEI and there's so much work to be done to create environments where people can be themselves. I wanted to share a quote. This is a quote by Minda Hartz, the, the lady who wrote the memo. And she said something or she shared something recently that speaks to my heart and I think Jennifer as well, is that the work that I do, and I, I'm also going to speak on behalf for Jennifer, is that we are speaking up because there is so much un injustice in the workplace. We are speaking up because there is so much inequality in the workplace. And we are speaking up because we are speaking up for those who can't. We are changing the world for those who can't speak up. So that's why I felt important. I found it very important to also share Minda Hart's quote, somebody's freedom is tied to you activating your voice. And I want all of you to look yourself in the mirror and think about what you can do. You can advocate in so many ways, you can speak up in so many ways, try to think about what you can do to support somebody who can't speak up. Now I'm gonna properly introduce uh, Jennifer Brown. Um, I'm fanning right here and she she knows that, but I'm over, I'm a little bit over my, my, uh, my crush, but Jennifer is, Jennifer Brown. She is an award-winning entrepreneur, speaker, diversity and inclusion consultant, and also the author. As the CEO of Jennifer Brown Consulting, headquartered in New York City, Jennifer is responsible for designing workplace strategies that have been implemented by some of the biggest companies and nonprofit in the world. And I am a fan of her book, her latest book called How to Be an Inclusive Leader. And uh, we are going to start the conversation now. Jennifer, hi, welcome. Hi, Vivian. Congratulations on your first year anniversary. <laughs> what a year. What a year. Thank you. <laughs> good timing. I don't know if it's good timing or what. <laughs> yes. Oh, my son. Hey. Hi. This is time. Oh, you're a visitor. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Cute. That yeah, just we, sums up we, the year too. <laughs> yes, definitely, definitely. The year started in a, in a weird way. It started in a weird way, but I have to ask all my guests these questions. And why do we need to humanize the virtual workplace? Mm, we needed to humanize the workplace before this year, right? Before mm -hmm. we all move virtual. I mean, many of us, Vivian, like you and I, we study what's broken in the workplace and we're yeah. constantly, you know, elevating these messages and those voices that aren't feeling seen and heard. You know, that's been many, many years of doing that and feeling that frustration of a lack of, um, I guess, appetite 
for change and true investment in 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 changing what needs to be changed in order to enable more of us to be seen and heard. And so humanizing the virtual workplace, it continues to be critical, but I think virtual uh, relationships are built differently. Um, we've got to somehow figure out how community and belonging uh, can be created and invested in when all we have is, uh, you know, each other on a screen. Um, we That's don't true. have the we don't have the chance encounters in an office, right? Which I think really I think helped some of us find community, helped some of us find those mentors and sponsors that we need, right? Or have those chance conversations about a job opportunity or um, for someone to quote unquote, like literally see us at work doing something amazing and be impressed by us and saying, hey, that person's really talented. You know, I wanna, I wanna make sure I support them. So, so we need to almost manufacture, um, manufacture opportunities for visibility for ourselves and also for others and lift each other up uh, digitally, um, which mm -hmm. which I think is just it just looks different. It may I don't know if it's impossible. I just think it it almost feels like learning a, a new language. And by the way, when we go when we go back to physical or even a hybrid, what's really neat is I feel like we're going to have a, a broadened language and palette to uh, work with because we've really grown our competencies mm -hmm. um, in terms of making emotional connections virtually, getting things done. Um, you know, checking in on each other. You know, we, we've really grown this year, I think, in terms of empathy, I hope. Really that's, what, that's what I wanted to say as well, because yeah. there are still, unfortunately, there are still companies or people or managers who seem to have this tight control of mm. being over controlling and still not being able to trust people while they're working from home. Crazy. I don't like that at all. I think yeah. those managers and those leaders are not learning the right lessons from this year. Mm -hmm. The right lessons yeah. to be learning are empathy, vulnerability, transparency, uh, flexibility. Um, performance looks different in a pandemic and it looks different depending on all the um, intersecting identities that we all have, whether those are visible or invisible. Our lives you know, mm -hmm. are very much should be top of mind for every not just leader but every colleague you know we we can support each other like vivian i could say to you you have small children i don't you know so if we were on the same team the the work sharing right the the way that we might support each other differently given the constraints that some of us are under um that's what i think really need is what we could be discovering this year instead of kind of applying old performance standards in a very different context, you know, it, it's we've got to rewrite some of these rules so that they're not so, frankly, really old school. True. I'm getting a question also. Many managers are struggling, and I can totally back that. But I do also feel like managers need to find help or need to ask help, and <laughs> they need to learn how to lead their people instead of controlling their people. Uh, yeah, it's a little bit more, uh, less, perhaps less hierarchical. But I, yeah, I appreciate the comment because unfortunately then managers maybe still are accountable for the same output. And yeah. yet we're all, I think, struggling differently and more this year to get things done. Um, and so there's no, there's like no wiggle room being al allowed for that. There, there's like not a lot of flexibility 
And if you're a certain kind of level in a company, there's you're still getting the same accountability. So really for managers, I think what needs to really change is the folks above you. Yeah. You need to have that humanity, empathy, revisiting like, okay, so what really does need to get done? Let's, let's you know, decide this together. Let's think about how, and um, let's give people as much freedom as we can to, um, to get it done in the way and the timing that they can. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a struggle. I mean, we're, we're, there's this tension between performance definitions and expectations mm -hmm. and, um, and all of our struggles that have been exacerbated, I think this year. And, and um, it feels sometimes like it's at a breaking point to me. I, I don't know what the answer is, um, but to me, yeah. this has been brewing for a while. I mean, we've Definitely. just been, yeah. we were just hiding more about our lives before mm -hmm. this year. And now I feel like it's very much on display. It's like, you know, if I were closeted, I'm an LGBTQ plus woman, cisgender mm -hmm. woman, and my pronouns are she, her, hers. And I have a partner and if I were closeted, like many of us are, but my same sex partner is walking around behind me, I have to come out, you know, yeah. and I, or we, or everybody knows we're parents. Everyone yeah. knows we might be coping with mental health issues mm -hmm. that are rising this year. It's, um, it's hard to control anymore what people know about us. Uh, and that's a good thing and a terrifying thing. And um, in some cases, maybe a dangerous thing because stigma hasn't gone away. You yeah. know, people are still people. Yeah. I, I want to bring it back towards the managers because what I have seen, though, is companies tying in the turnover percentage, connecting it to the management's performance. That's something that you don't see often, especially when it comes yeah. to the, the leakage of diverse talent. True. So Vivian, are you saying that they are holding managers accountable for retaining their talent? No, like they're holding managers. Yeah, I think we are talking, we're saying the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, when people leave, right? It's not a common thing that you are being asked to do an exit interview. What if, just, just an idea, what if companies would do an exit interview where the person who leaves is truly honest and is sharing something, well, I didn't feel like I belong or there was a diversity leakage or there was a diversity problem. And if you see that tied in to a department or to a manager, that's something that you can hold a manager accountable for because most of the times it is the manager, just like yes, Gardner just expressed in a book or in an in a audio book that I was listening, it is the manager most of the time. Yes, most of the time. How about even a stay interview? You know, if you wait until exit interviews, yeah. it's too late yeah. to address it, right? Yeah. So mm -hmm. I like the idea of stay interviews. But yeah, I mean, the future, ideally, there would be an accountability for uh, engagement scores mm -hmm. um, seen through the lens of diverse identities so that we yeah. could cut the data and we could see where is the problem in the organization? Which leaders are, you know, does that roll up to? Because you're right, mm -hmm. people leave managers before they leave uh, jobs and companies. It's really that direct manager, right, that has the most impact on our day-to-day -day experience. And then we could isolate the challenges and address them, like you said. But um, but we're I, unfortunately, performance criteria and reviews and compensation is still widely not tied to uh, diversity and inclusion metrics in my experience not yet, make, not yet at all and so not that's yet. in the future yeah definitely not yet but i um i 
wanted to do this interview for the longest. So you have been on my guest list to ask, and I'm <laughs> I'm so happy that we are doing we are having this conversation because 2020, oh what a year 2020 has been. Wow. So let's let's go back to January. What was the state of DEI in 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 the states? And I will share my version from Europe. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you'd agree over there, but it was, I think we were on a steady climb. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say there was yeah. any sort of crescendo, <laughs> I wish. Um, but I do think it's been this kind of um, a steady kind of uh, drumbeat to say, this is important, you need this. And so we were entering as a firm fairly strong, fairly mm -hmm. strong. Um, but then of course the cliff happened, the first cliff <laughs> <laughs> uh, in March, uh, and then it, what was sort of viewed as discretionary, unfortunately, by so many of our would-be clients, uh, viewed as a nice-to-have is what I mean mm -hmm. by discretionary. Um, it's always something we've battled, and in in down economic times, for example, it is the hardest time to be yeah. in DNI because yeah. it gets cut immediately. Um, it gets devalued. It has, you know, nothing to do with recovery or innovation. Or I mean, people just seem to kind of forget that this literally powers performance, and performance powers, it powers innovation, productivity, and engagement yes, exactly. at its core. Right? Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. So I think um, I was terrified in May, kind of sitting there watching everything get canceled, and it, we all had, I think, this kind of month and a half of despair about. Mm -hmm. um, and then some of us who own businesses got applied for something called PPP, which thank goodness the government kind of, you know, was able to provide some of us again to kind of bridge the revenue loss mm -hmm. because it was just, it was wiped out. It was wiped out yeah. for so many of us. So yeah, so Vivian, tell me where you think we were ending, uh, entering 2020 from before March. In Europe, we were, I mean, I'm from the Netherlands and you have to know that the conversations in the Netherlands is different. So we, uh, when I talk to international companies, yes, they follow what they are doing in the States and they know that we have to invest in DEI, but the Dutch, environment i'm not speaking i'm speaking about of the majority we are learning about diversity and why you know yeah i i yeah that's why i'm continuing this conversation more in english because um we are just learning about the qualities of the benefits of having diverse people and we are not ready yet to talk about the inclusion part and let alone the equity part right so there's so much work to be done but realizing what happened in March, that's a different way of showcasing what working parents were going through, what single mothers were going, or single parents were going through, what somebody who was a caregiver was going through, or somebody who was just losing, you know, losing family members or losing friends around them. You had to deal with so many things, and it showcased the companies that were doing the work as in creating that personal connection and the companies that weren't doing the work, they were struggling. They are still struggling. So it's similar, but it feels like we are way behind when it comes to the DEI work. That would be what I would imagine would be true, Vivian, based mm -hmm. on what I know. Um, and but on the flip side, you know, we in America we look at at certain, um, for example, diversity on boards um, is mm -hmm. something 
like a, a shining example of, of something I think we desperately want and need and are Where? Having. Where is it? I, <laughs> in America, Not really. I mean, in America, like we literally, California has like a new law that requires at least one woman on every public board, like just one. And yeah. that is, that feels like, oh, big news, you know, yeah. it's just ridiculous. It's like we have, we are allergic to requirements in this country. Mm -hmm. um, and yet I believe having been in this work for so long that what gets measured gets done. Unfortunately, the measurements have to be in place in order to get people to, you know, do what the right thing, which is really horrible. I mean, it's, yeah. I, I think it shouldn't be that way. Um, but it it's, um, sadly, it's the language that people understand. Yeah. Um, and we need and, to start somewhere because yeah. in the Netherlands last year, I wrote an article about the Netherlands being um, not forcing, but demanding from companies that are registered on um, our uh, financial index. Um, mm -hmm. I'm forgetting the word. They are demanding that at least some percentages of the women of the board are women, are female. Yeah. I do have to say that they have to, they had to tie in something else as in diverse women. Yeah, I know. So that's the other problem, right? How many of these women are going to end up being white women, straight women, cisgender women, right? That's, that's, if there's not full criteria mm -hmm. and that, you know, from the beginning, it is yeah. always, it is always going to happen that the most, you know, privileged whatever identities are going to get through that net. Um, and so I, I'm not a fan, I'm a fan of the concept, but I really deeply recommend that whenever you're launching a new strategy, it has mm -hmm. to be intersectional. It's got yeah. to be, you know, and so, but I think, you know, companies push back on that and sometimes say, you, you know, we want to hear and then we'll get to that next year. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or we don't want to talk about for, yet for the people, because... for the people that don't know what intersectionality is, maybe oh, yeah. can you share something? Because I live in a in a box country where we box people. You're this, and you cannot be that. So, oh my gosh, yes, <laughs> yes. Okay, so this is a big topic in the U.S. Uh, intersectionality. It, it was coined by Kimberly Crenshaw. She's a black woman mm -hmm. professor here in the U.S. American. And it is defined by her as uh, the impact of overlapping, multiple overlapping stigmatized identities. So meaning uh, female, black, LGBTQ, mm -hmm. maybe, but she defines it really focusing most of her work on black women. Yeah. And so the concept though, thinking about when you are underrepresented and you have a, an underrepresented or a marginalized identity as we refer to it uh, here, there are multiple things about me or about maybe about you, Vivian, both visible and invisible. Because remember, mm -hmm. I don't I don't necessarily, somebody may not know I identify as a member of the LGBTQ community, mm -hmm. but that qualifies as a underrepresented and marginal, historically yeah. marginalized community. So for me, the intersectionality, um, I might define it, um, take a page from Kimberly Crenshaw because it wasn't her original intent. But I think of my my femaleness in a male-dominated world. I think about being LGBTQ in a heteronormative world. Yeah. And I think I, I'm aware of those intersections. And so my point about boards and other things is that 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 we need, if we're going to require diversity, 
Uh, we need to define what that is, but then we also mm -hmm. need to make sure that we're not just defining it like one way, um, yeah. but that we not just allow for, but that we we strongly encourage uh, multiple identities to be represented. So it's yeah. not just women. It is not just people of color. It's not just heterosexual people or cisgender It's not people. just homogeneous. Or, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So if we can yeah. find candidates that candidates that represent more than one marginalized identity that's that's powerful it's a powerful statement and of course we want more than one out of every 10 i mean that's mm -hmm. kind of the metric of the california requirement because most board you know the, the working number on a board maybe say it's 10 and mm -hmm. you have one woman and yeah. likely it's a white woman yeah that's okay but that's just scratching the surface of what we really mm -hmm. need so I, yeah, I personally, I think we either go big or, or we don't do it at all. But some people might argue, look, a small step is better than no step. It's you a know, small step, but you're putting we, that, that lady all that, but that I, woman. I don't know. I think intersectionality is critical. It's, it's, it's a small step, but then again, you're putting the woman in this case in a position where she's being tokenized or she can be tokenized yeah. right and that's Absolutely. also something that we right. want to so you want you want three up. out of every ten yeah so i'm going to take you back because yeah end of you may, ideally end of may something impactful happened which uh, amplified Connecting connectiveness, but also amplified injustice, amplified hurt, amplified anger, amplified sadness, amplified. This could also be my son. This could also be my husband. This could also be my partner. This could have also been my uncle. This could have also been somebody who was impactful within my community or within my network. And then a week after or within a week, so many businesses, so many companies committed online Blackout Tuesday. What happened to you after that, or for you after that? What happened after May? What happened after the, the death of George Floyd? Because a lot of companies were, were sharing their support on social media, mm -hmm. but in the six months time, what have we seen now? Oh, so much. I mean, wow, it was a crash course since since late May. Uh, we saw a lot of companies be caught unprepared, number mm -hmm. one. Most, I would say, um, were not prepared for the 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 massive um, the energy, the the truth, the truth that was revealed. Mm -hmm. on the part of uh, Black America, Black employees, um, uh, consumers, customers, right? So holding accountable some of the places we spend money with and, you know, we patronize. So it just was, has been um, a, uh, a very uncomfortable, in a really good way, <laughs> really uncomfortable time. Uh, and, and a risky time, I think, for employers who haven't really been doing the work. They just not even have a grip. I mean, they hadn't really given a lot of credence to um, their own employee demographics and the experience and the culture uh, and the you know diversity and inclusion or exclusion, belonging, uh, 
there was just a lot of uh, real soul searching that happened um, amongst companies and they made a lot of mistakes, I think, in trying to show solidarity. So what we might call performative allyship, Vivian, mm -hmm. meaning, you know, posting the Black Lives Matter square, but literally like, you know, if you pull Going back the back curtain and you look usual. at the board or the executive yeah. team yeah. there, for example. Yeah. Um, and so, yes. And so for companies that were prepared, they've been doing the work they like flexed with the moment, right? And and they, um, you know, they they had the language and they'd already had a track record. They were walking the talk. So for them, mm -hmm. they, I think, rode through the summer more easily, uh, more congruently, more authentically. Um, but, but the scrutiny of this year has meant that all eyes are on the, the, the brokenness of mm -hmm. belonging at work. For, particularly yeah. for certain communities, right? Yeah. Uh, and I, I just, that's been incredible because that meant that the platform for action was the appetite was really strong and we could do some really good work, which we've done. We've really, we've really leveraged this moment to push, you know, with the wind at our back, we've been able to push for a lot more aggressive solutions um, this year than we've ever been able to do. So it's actually been, it's, it's been, it's tragedy and um, but the the fuel that became available to us for change has been unprecedented. I've never seen anything like it in 12 years in this business, um, you know, to make change, to tell the truth, to challenge leaders, to question systems, to apply an equity lens and say, mm -hmm. you know, why do we do it this way? Why is this harm still happening? How can we change it? Not just for, as a Band-Aid, but permanently, yeah. you know, going through those conversation about it and and yeah. there really wasn't before the summer yeah but looking so I'm, I'm fast forwarding towards last month I, I think oh I'm hoping that Jennifer is coming back but I'm fast forwarding towards um last month Nasdaq shared something about their uh about demanding or asking the companies that are joining the NASDAQ to showcase diversity, show numbers, show figures, showcase. When you are talking about diversity, you want to show the numbers. And I know that we don't want it to be only a numbers game, but what they are doing is challenging companies to think ahead, think about how you are including people. Think about how you are uh, raising the bar when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion. I'm hoping that Jennifer is coming back. Um, but in the meantime, if you have anything to share regarding how you saw what, what kind of impact 2020 has, ma has made done for you when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion, I would definitely want to showcase you and show whatever it is that you wanted to share so many questions that I wanted to ask uh, Jennifer, but I will do the next one. When I look at what's happening now, and when I look at the, the, the current state when it comes to, yes, she's back. 
I'm back. <laughs> I've never had this happen. I'm so sorry. There must be some no worries. It, going it, on in New York City. It's never a good thing. It can happen. It can happen. <laughs> um, what I wanted to share was, I don't know if you saw it, but I, I just shared something about NASDAQ asking or demanding from their clients to showcase the numbers when it comes to diversity. Is it so that external stakeholders are now a force to move the needle so much faster? Yeah, this is what I'm talking about that, you know, um, we all, we almost have to mandate this change. And mm -hmm. if you're a powerful entity like NASDAQ, you sit at the nexus of this mm -hmm. huge ecosystem. And so one decision done by a player like that then literally creates like so much change so quickly that compared to what maybe you and I would be able to do, Vivian, if we were consulting in each one of those sure. you know, individual organizations. So it's an example to me of, I think of organizations as, as allies sometimes, like, or mm -hmm. accomplices. However that was driven and why, I don't know, right? We're not in NASDAQ, but the, that, that one move. I applaud it. I applaud faith. that change because it's for them to be, be one Excellent. of the early adapters when it comes to this, it's just for me, it's creating hope. It's creating hope that this change might happen sooner than later. Mm. You saw my son, he is seven. And uh, the reason why I'm doing what I do has to do with him. It's not that for me, it's too late, but for me planting the seeds now, giving it TLC, giving it the sun, giving it, you know, the energy that a, a plant needs so that it can grow and so that he can be in a place where he can be himself, whatever, whoever, however he is, I want him to be himself. That's, that's my hope. But I wanted also to ask um, this question because we are changing, the world is changing, the global population is changing, and there are so many studies, and I mean, there's so much research available that's beneficial for different stakeholders doing the right thing now, but when are we going to stop and go beyond the business case? Because there are so many business cases already that I'm just like, you are demanding the business case on top of a business case for the business case just because of you wanted the business case. <laughs> yeah, it's annoying. It's, I just feel like asking over and over again for more data mm -hmm. is like a delay tactic. Yeah. I, I honestly, I think that, that continuing to, when, when literally you can look it up on Google, like you shouldn't, mm -hmm. we shouldn't spend any time at least if I'm in dialogue with an executive team say, like, mm -hmm. oh, research it yourself. It's documented everywhere. Yeah. It's everywhere. So, um, but you're right that I think it's a, it's a way of convincing people who need to be convinced that this mm -hmm. is worthwhile. And it's sad that we have to convince people about the power of belonging. Like it's, mm -hmm. I, that just troubles me so much because, you know, you and I know we do better work when we feel a sense of safety, psychological safety, yeah. belonging. Yeah. And then that leads to creativity, which leads to you know, better business results, right? And so, yeah. but that's where it starts. And we know that. Um, and it, and I wish it, it, we could say, you know, that the human case, 
<laughs> versus the business case. Anyway, I, I do, I work on this a lot and I think about how can I motivate people to change because selfishly maybe they want to be um, the most effective that they can be. Mm -hmm. They want to be the most resonant and forward thinking leader. They want to be somebody who people trust. Mm -hmm. um, and so sometimes uh, beyond the business case might be, hey, as a leader, as a manager, do you want to be good at this because the world is changing? And yeah. in order to lead in that world or be hired or get promoted, it's a piece we have to be good at because our yeah. world, our teams are changing, our customers are changing. And so it's not quite, it's not a moral argument. It's more of a, I guess it's a selfish argument. Mm -hmm. But sometimes with leaders that I coach, I like to say, like, how prepared are you for the next yeah. generation of talent? And what do you know about them? Do you know that they value a diverse and inclusive workplace highly? Mm -hmm. Do you know they value purpose? Do you know that they yeah. value um, having an alignment of their values with the values of the place that they work? And, and then kind of, saying to leaders okay so given that changing landscape how do we need how do we then need to lead mm -hmm. and that's a different that is a different definition i think of leadership than a lot of us grew up understanding or seeing mm -hmm. and um so anyway that's another angle that i take when i have the leadership conversation and it, it seems to resonate with people especially those who have kids of a certain mm -hmm. age to say wow you're right like this company's not going to succeed and I'm not going to succeed if I don't kind of take this on board and, and yeah. do the learning myself that I need to do and not wait for yeah. you or me to come in and teach it, but literally to read every book you can, you know, to, yeah. you know, put yourself in, in those environments where you're challenged and you're uncomfortable and you don't know what to say. And like that work is the work that every human needs to do because the world is changing. And if you get left behind, I don't know. Most people care about not being left behind. <laughs> true, true. I also wanted to add, to build upon what you just shared, right? Because sometimes people get confused when you say leaders or managers, but I want to, I want you to add in the word self. Every time mm. you see somebody talking about leaders, add in the word self-leader, because I do believe that you don't always have to wait for certain policies to be in place to just do just one little thing where you can speak up, where you can amplify diversity, where you can amplify inclusion. It has to start from yourself first before you are going to bring it towards somebody else or before you are going to bring it into your team. So what are you doing now to create that impact? that lasting impact, that authentic impact, that impact that creates more heart. Heart empowers heart. So why don't we lead with our heart? We should, and it's what's been missing in the workplace. Mm -hmm. And this year, I think this year ignited our heart. Yeah. You know, it, it really, first the pandemic ignited it, yeah. seeing the disparities in terms of um, inequities Mm -hmm. in our society, right? The pandemic really laid that out. Healthcare, yeah. socioeconomic, first responders, um, yeah. how COVID impacts black and brown communities. Um, you know, just the list goes on. So, and then to have that open heartedness and go into late May and see the murder of George Floyd and see so many awakenings in people that didn't think about these things before. Mm -hmm. I think we've really 
we've really crossed into new territory uh, yeah. in terms of what we, what our hearts see. Uh, so that's a gift. That is an mm -hmm. enormous, I don't even think we would be even having this conversation if these things hadn't happened in the way that they did and in the order they did this year. True. I think True. it was all, it, it flowed in the way. Um, yeah. I hope, I hope you can True. hear me okay, Vivian. Yes, yes, definitely. I'm going in and out. Um, I wanted, I wanted <laughs> okay. to talk about your upcoming president <laughs> and, the, and the combination of his vice president. What is your yes. hope? What is your hope? Because I am seeing positive changes already without him mm -hmm. being, you know, having his seat or having his place on the table. But what is your hope? We have so much healing to do. Um, so much faith we need to restore in our country's leadership. Um, but we also have major, major polarities um, occurring that are almost getting worse. Mm -hmm. So, and and I think that that we've, we're going to have to acknowledge the the pulling apart of our country. Mm -hmm. um, and the the sort of us and them, the way where we have we have been almost engineered mm -hmm. to look at each other as enemies, yeah, along ideological lines. And that's never totally true. And yet to to read media, and I'm sure we're being manipulated also. Yeah. Of course, we know we are, right? And and so mm -hmm. we're being told things about each other that aren't the whole story. True. So I think we've got to really be careful about what we digest. Um, mm -hmm. And when we think that of othering, we have to really challenge ourselves to come from this place of, of love and truly seeing and hearing like others. And we have to combat that because everything around us is encouraging us to polarize. Yeah. So, um, so DNI folks, I think we, we have to really hold the, we've got to hold the middle uh, and make sure that we're continuing not to pull apart, but that we're trying to grow together and learn from each mm -hmm. other and, and be challenged by each other so that we can transform. And that so that we can realize, of course, there's more that unites us. There's more that we share than divides us. And I know it sounds like a cliche, but, but I, I think it's more important than ever to focus on what I might say are shared shared experiences mm -hmm. relating to diversity. Could that be mental health? Can that be parenting? Can that be, yeah. um, you know, things that, that transcend our differences that are more universal? Those are really wonderful places to start uh, the conversations, you know, as we learn about yeah. each other and learn to trust each other, but much trust has been broken. So I hope the new administration um, can <laughs> fight against that polarization. Mm -hmm. Thank um, you, Michael, for sharing that. <laughs> thank you, Michael. <laughs> We're fighting through. We're going to be working Yes, definitely. <laughs> um, when we start having honest conversation, because sometimes when you join in the workplace, you're put in, in a certain position, in a certain place, and you start to do the work without having these conversations. Are you encouraging that we have more similar let's humanize the workplace conversations where we 
learn from each other, where we at least have a conversation, of course, in a safe environment where people feel comfortable enough to share what's on their mind. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, Vivian. It's, um, I mean, look, there's still a lot of us who aren't comfortable bringing our full selves because yeah, of these identities, right? And and so yeah. there is a, there is this, uh, the nuance of the work is that you need to create single identity conversations if there is such mm-hmm. a thing and support and enable that so that people feel a safe space to just be yeah. and say, as a black woman, this is what I'm experiencing. As a queer yeah. woman, this is what I'm experiencing. Um, as a person with a disability, here's the microaggressions I hear on a day-to-day basis. And to be able to share that with people of like identity or allies in that space is so important for our own self-care. So there's that that work and support that is that is critical because being underrepresented is is no small thing. It is no. it's a daily struggle for many of us uh, to feel alone and isolated. Yeah, and we're Which not we're me- not alone. <laughs> Which brings me to a topic that I wanted to bring in, but just just briefly touch base on it because there is something happening in the world in the United States at a company. I'm not going to name the company, but um, a lady was yeah. fired, and the lady said that um, the company is saying that she was let go or she went, she left, and she is saying that she was fired. In her case, she has, um, let's say she has a, 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 um, a crowd. She has people who believe in, in, in what she's doing and she has backup. 3000 people are signing a petition to back her story. So company is saying, the company X is saying, well, she left and this is what happened happening. And the other person is having a voice and using her voice to showcase what is happening. Most of the time when people from a marginalized group are speaking up, they don't have that backup. Most of the time they leave. And the reason why I say that, I'm saying that because I I am one of them. I am one of them. Mm. Yeah. So maybe so maybe we're making progress, right? This is a mm-hmm. sign of the accountability that companies are being held to yeah. when something like this happens. It isn't invisible. It's not swept yeah. under the rug. You know, social media can be our friend because yeah. it brings transparency to these things and it becomes, um, we can debate it in the public square, you know, versus be, having it be hidden away by the powerful. Yeah. So, yeah. So I think, and I know the story you're talking about, of course, if everybody's listening, you know, you don't kind of, you know, read up on the news. There's mm-hmm. a, there was a big, um, you know, a, thre- a, res- a resignation over some ethics issues and then sort of yeah. the acceptance of a resignation, quote unquote. But anyway, I think, um, yeah, I think the, the um, companies are very, I think they should be extremely worried mm-hmm. about their actions, not matching their stated values and intent. Yeah. And they should be extremely worried about losing any talented um, individuals of all identities. Yeah. Um, but in particular, how hard we we should be fighting to diversify our workforce and get the best and brightest and reflect the diversity of the world that we work in, right? And that we serve. 
and tech companies in particular are so behind on representation um, because of years and years and years of unchecked bias in hiring and retention and, and workplace culture. So, um, yeah, that's a really shocking story, the one that you're talking about, yeah. but you're it's right, still, it's still that we're entering a new age of, a, it's unfolding, it is unfolding. Yeah. So again, yeah. like you'll find it in some headlines. If Just look at Twitter, yeah. <laughs> that's all I will say. <laughs> on a, and you'll see there's a lot of threads going on about the situation that you're talking mm -hmm. about. But um, I, think we're, I think we're making progress. I think the heat is on companies to mean what they say, honor their commitments, and um, and to be held accountable if something doesn't feel right, there it's going to be talked about and it's gonna hurt their brand and it's gonna hurt their ability to attract uh, people. <laughs> Thank you. Right. Michael. <laughs> Said it, not, not us. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, can I answer that question that yeah, we just said? Definitely. How do we build allyship? Yeah. Yes. That's one of my favorite topics. Uh, genuine allies, not just paper allies, right? Not just performative ally, right? It's like, mm -hmm. oh, I, I wear the pin, you know. I say I'm. A, you're only an ally if somebody in a in an affected community calls you an ally. So yeah. it is a term we can't give ourselves. It's something we earn. So you need to earn it. We need to earn it every day. It's a journey, uh, not a destination. You've never arrived. I would say. Um, and I love the word accomplice as an alternative mm -hmm. to the word ally or co-conspirator is another word. It, it's sort of a matter of personal preference. Some people think ally doesn't go far enough. And it's also a bit like, oh, let me bestow my allyship on you <laughs> versus co-conspirator has an energy of solidarity to it. Like mm -hmm. I'm, I'm with you, whatever capacity you need me to play, I am here. Um, so how do we build more genuine allyship? I think what I've been teaching is that we all have privileges that we can enact, uh, that we are not we are not enacting. Uh, yeah. And so you know, even you, Vivian, and yeah, me, I know. You know, we have various, you know, uh, marginalized identities, but there are also uh, platforms we have, voice that we have, permission that we have, access that we have, um, socioeconomic comfort that we have that enable us to say something, do something, push, mm -hmm. um, you know, hold accountable, suggest, uh, champion. There's there's all these things in us that we could be enacting um, that would put us in this position of being an accomplice to somebody else's success. Yeah. And so if we can kind of tap into that, there's so much to be done. I mean, if, if someone comes to me or, or I, I, I'm somebody's sponsor, you know, and I hear about an opportunity that I think would be great for them. Can I bring their name up? Can I Definitely. make sure they are connected to somebody? Yeah. Can I um, bring a speaker on to my platform and, yeah. and, and you know, position them to storytell? Um, there's just, for me, I'm constantly thinking about my own accomplishing behaviors because I want to, sh whatever power lives in each of us, and there's always a source of power in each of us, that power, that power when it's shared is what changes like the yeah. trajectory for others. And so if we, if we saw more of that, and to me, that's not complicated. This is easy. This is not complicated stuff. It's, it's, it's accessible. I have it in my possession. Yeah. And what I have to do is just understand what gap am I trying to help close? And what do I have within my power to shift that gap 
Yeah. That's, that's and you can you can start with the allyship with baby steps, right? You don't have to conquer the whole world and let the no. whole world know that you're an ally. Why don't you start with looking in your network, see how diverse your network is, yes. and reaching out to one person, and then you reach out to the next person, and then you reach out to the next person. So that's what I've been doing. I'm minding. I'm being mindful of the time because I don't want to kidnap you, but. I have to say that I so enjoyed this conversation. I'm looking forward to the conversation that we will be having in 2021, maybe around somewhere around the summer to see where we are at because we need to have this conversation. And like I shared in the beginning, um, I feel like DEI, the work that we do for DEI, is like the Olympic marathon that we're running and we are maintaining the flame, keeping the fire alive. And we are passing the torches on to other, you know, experts in this field who are amplifying diversity, equity, and inclusion at the same time. Because the more people who are, who are raising awareness, the more we get talking, the more we implement DEI in the right way, the more organizations can become thriving. I love that Olympic torch analogy. I'm so going to steal that. I love it. It's beautiful. <laughs> and I'm passing I'm passing to you. Here we go. Yes, thank <laughs> you. <laughs> and may, may, thank it may it grow. May it grow. Thank you for this conversation. Everybody who watched, thank you also for watching this conversation. And uh, until next time. Thank you, Vivian. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Bye. Bye.